just a moment. But first, we're going to dig into our series, How Did We Get Here? It's kind of our Route 66 through the Bible. Um, and we're going to dig into Corinthians today, um, following Jesus in a jacked up church. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about why the Corinthian church was so jacked up. Um, hopefully, we'll be able to see some parallels uh, in our current church. We might even see it in our local church. Um, and that's okay that God points that out to us. That's one reason that we have scripture. But um, I want us to learn uh, as we were reading these books, because obviously a lot of these books uh, were written for different purposes. This one was specifically to address some issues that were going on in a church um, in Greece. But man, all scripture is profitable for doctrine and profitable for us to follow, um, the word says. And, and this one is true. It's actually one of my favorite letters uh, from Paul. So uh, just to give you a little bit of background, Corinth is located in Greece. It was a major port city. Um, it reminds me a lot of the Houston-Galveston area, very ethnic, uh, ethnic and religious diversity. Um, there were both Jew Jews that were here as well as people who were non-Jewish, especially a lot of Greeks that followed multiple gods, and they all worshipped uh, in the same city. Uh, we can actually learn about the beginnings of this church uh, in Corinth in Acts 18. So if you have some have a chance, go ahead and mark that down if you're taking notes. Those of you who are online, there's a section where you can take notes right there, a tab at the bottom. Uh, but go ahead and mark uh, Acts 18, because that will actually tell you why, how the church in uh, Corinth got started. I would encourage you to read it. It's a really, really cool story. Uh, Paul went to the local synagogue and shares with us to share the gospel of Jesus. So back then, the synagogue was not only a place of worship, but it was also just a place where Jews just hung out. Uh, they liked hanging out. So even when their quote-unquote service was over, a lot of times businessmen, especially in midday, would just come and just hang out. And so these philosophers, these thinkers, would show up in the same way they would show up at temples, and they would just share uh, with that. And so Paul was like, hey, I'm going to, you give me a stage, I'm going to go and I'm going to share the good news of Jesus with both the Jews and the Greeks. Here's something interesting that happened. He went and shared it with the Jews and some Jews got really upset at him uh, for a lot of different reasons that he was trying to share this message about this Messiah that provided a way for us to be reconciled to God. And Jews got upset and Paul said, okay, fine, I'm going to leave you to yourself, and my ministry from now on is going to be focused towards people who are non-Jewish. So this was the point, and this was the church where Paul made the switch in Corinth, while Peter still continued to focus on the Jews, Paul became the apostle to the pagans, or to the non-Jewish people. Um, so Paul, thank you for getting us the word and the good news of Christ. Um, Paul actually met some friends, so he met a couple Aquila and Pris Priscilla when he was there. And what's interesting, we talk about divine appointments. He happened to be traveling there, uh, looking and just wanting to check out the city, and he found these people that were in the same business he was. Aquila and Priscilla were both tent makers. Um, and that's how Paul paid his bills. Um, so it was very cool that God was able to orchestrate that meeting because right away they had something in common. And eventually they winded up they winded up being leaders in that church and helping them set it up. Um, he realized that there was a work to be done in Corinth, so he winded up living there for one and a half years. Afterwards, this is where we kick in with Corinthians. Afterwards, he led. He was led to preach to other churches, so he winded up leaving after a year and a half, and he got word of some problems that were hitting 
this new church of young followers. Now, I want you to imagine this. This isn't like planting a church like we have, where you get a, a small community of people, you put it in a spot, and then you say, okay, Lord, we're going to worship together, right? This was a situation where it was a city that was filled, filled with mythology and numerous gods, sometimes mixed with Jewish beliefs and uh, sometimes people would convert from being Jewish to being Christian, kinda, but they would still pull in some of these crazy things. It was, it was, it was nuts. And since Paul set up the first church, they were left with trying to just bring these people in and trying to bring them up to speed as to what the gospel meant. Um, so it was just a crazy environment with these really, really young, immature uh, Christians. So there were several problems that were hitting this church. And so we're actually going to go through, if you're taking notes, and we're going to go through here and I'm going to show you what those issues were and why this church was so jacked up. All right. The first reason were divisions. Divisions. Now, I know that would never happen into the modern American church today. This was something that was way back then. But they had divisions. They had people like Apollos, who was an evangelist. Peter, of course, was a, an apostle and, and a close close friend and follower of Jesus. And of course, Paul, we know his story, how Jesus specifically uh, appeared to him. So they would walk through this town and they would wind up taking turns teaching this church and the church had their favorites, right? They're like, man, I really love Apollos, man. He really fire and brimstone. I'm one of those people that I need to feel convicted before I leave a service. And then once I'm convicted and I feel like I'm this small, I know it was a good service. I know God showed up, all right? Then you had Peter that would come in. Well, you know, I actually was in the boat with Jesus. I was the apostle that actually walked on the water, all right? So people were like, oh, I really like Peter, man, because he was like, like he had, like when I touch his shoulder, Jesus touched that shoulder. Like, man, if I do that, I feel so much closer to Jesus when, Paul speak, when Peter speaks. Then you have Paul, the former Jewish guy, that's now this guy. God, that's crazy in love with Jesus and wants to share this love of Jesus with everyone. So I'm sure Paul probably resonated with those smart, very theologically sound, just thinking people, especially people who are part of the Sanhedrin um, or the Sadducees that were just sitting there. They were thinking and pondering and they're like, wow, this guy is a really deep thinker. Like he really, really makes me really think on these scriptures and seeing them in this new way. Everyone had their favorite. All right, everyone had their preference. And there's nothing wrong with preferences. There are people that I listen to on podcasts um, that are amazing. I love listening to them uh, teach. But the problem was it was causing division in the church. And people were boasting and bragging about it. Hey, you know, not only do I know Peter, he baptized me. Yes, it was me. Look on my Facebook, there's a selfie. Me in the Jordan River, right, was baptized by Peter the Rock, right? People were, were having these divisions, and it started causing problems. And the church was looking to them for leadership rather than looking to the head of the church, which was Jesus. They were looking um, at these different people, and it was all about the cult of personality rather than the love of Jesus. The second reason this church was so jacked up was immorality. Um, Paul was showing us that what we do here on earth in our minds and with our bodies matters for eternity. Um, people were still, even though they had vowed to be committed to Jesus, they were still acting uh, immoral when it came to temple prostitutes and each other. There was even someone that had 
an uh, inappropriate relationship with the mother-in-law and the church was cool with it. Like it was a really crazy time when it came to immorality. And if you're familiar with that culture, it was normal. It was a culture that was a very sexual culture. Um, so obviously some of that came in, especially being young believers. Um, and Paul had to address that too in this letter. Um, the third one's personal freedoms over love. Personal freedoms over love. This is a tough one. And I think in America, especially in Texas, we struggle with it. Um, I do because we love our freedom. We love our rights. We've got that independent, just rugged, I mean, that Lone Star, when I see it on a truck, man, uh, you just know. Or when I'm traveling somewhere and I happen to see someone with a Lone Star flag or a Whataburger uh, t-shirt, and all of a sudden I get that, yeah, I'm in Texas, right? All right? So that's cool. So we're happy about Texas, and uh, I love it. I'm a Texas history teacher, so of course I'm excited. But here is the problem. People were using their freedom instead of loving others and saying, hey, I know I'm free to do what I want, but this might make you stumble, but that's okay. Uh, I'm going to stop doing this, not because I have to, but because I choose to honor you um, over myself. Instead of that, people just did that and they said, hey, I'm free to do what you want. Um, a big part of it was the food that they ate. A lot of the foods in Corinth, just like in Greece, were sacrificed to idols. The people that sold them in the markets, they would um, chop up the meat and get this food, and then they would sacrifice it to a particular guy that they wanted prosperity. They wanted their business to prosper. Well, some people were like, well, wait a minute. How are you a Christian and you're eating this meat that was sacrificed to Zeus? How are you eating that? Because I thought you only believe in one God. Paul tells us in Corinthians that, hey, there's really nothing wrong, that God made all animals, so they're all for us. But Paul said, hey, if there's something that's going to be a hindering, a hindering block, a stumbling block for a person um, that potentially could be a part of the family of God and has interest and is drawn to the Lord, and that's a problem for them, use your freedom not to do it. Sometimes we think of freedom as always we can, we can, we can. But also having freedom also means that we can choose not to. Doesn't mean we can't, doesn't limit what we do or say or how we do it, but it was simply an act out of love that Paul was giving them instructions to do that. He says, if it doesn't affect their beliefs and they can understand that, have at it. Dig in and eat whatever you want. Um, but just keep that in mind that when we do that, um, I think in my head again, I think about how many times I think of my rights, my freedom. I always lead with that. And of course, we're in a, in a country where we're so blessed. Um, that has, I, as a history teacher, and I, I read the Declaration of Independence, and um, I teach my students about the Constitution, and I'm like, man, this was a divine, divine document in how it was read and what it was. Even though we needed to have quite a few amendments and changes as we grew as a country, especially to co correct some past mistakes. But the purity of the doc document was that the heart of it, that there was a divine providence that was leading them here and that all people were created equal. That was the hope. We're still trying to live up to that promise, um, but it was beautiful that we could do that. And I think about that and I think about rights and freedom, but I need to make sure that I lead with love. That was the important part of this, that we lead with love in all that we do. The next one was spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts. 
If you're not familiar online with spiritual gifts or you're a visitor here, um, these are special endowments by the Holy Spirit that they've uh, given us to empower church to build it up. Um, there are things, everything from the ability, supernatural ability to see uh, areas where we need to give or to be able to speak in other languages or to be able to speak the very mind of God and put those in words through prophecy. Paul lists these gifts out and tell you what, the Corinthians were rolling. When it came to spiritual gifts, they might have been immature, but man, I bet you that church service was a show. Um, because according to Corinthians, man, they were just going at it. And one person would use one spiritual gift of prophecy, and one person would be speaking in tongue, and, and this was going on and on. Here was the problem. It became about the gifts and not about loving the giver of those gifts. It became about the show and not about the substance of being built up in the body of faith. There, there was a situation that Paul mentions where uh, people were speaking in tongues, and that's great. That's a spiritual gift, an authentic spiritual gift from the Lord to be able to speak in an unknown language as the Holy Spirit gives you that gift and that ability to do so. And Paul was sitting there telling them that said, hey, for people that are unbelievers that come in your midst, they're just looking at you going, okay, what are you babbling about? What's going on? If there's not a person that shows that gift of interpretation, that's able to interpret that in English, those words have no effect. They mean nothing. It's just babbling. And he said, I, I wish instead that we would prophesy, that we would be able to speak the very words of God in English. So they were abusing these spiritual gifts, these, these supernatural gifts that God's blessed us with. They were abusing them for their own sake rather than the sake of others. And so Paul had needed to address that. Let them know that the Lord is a Lord of order. Now, sometimes his order doesn't mean our order. What we may think is something that's an orderly service uh, might not be something that God thinks. But if we give full control to the Holy Spirit and we submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ as our head of the church, God will bless that. And he'll bless it and allow us to work and move in those spiritual gifts the right way. We need to make sure we lead and that we serve with love. The next one, giving out of legalism. Paul addresses this in, in uh, Corinthians 16, um, that when we give, that we're to give cheerfully. Um, that's not, uh, several people have asked as they visited the church, do we uh, mandate tithing? And we do not. Um, if that's something between you and the Lord, if the Lord tells you to give a certain amount of your income every month, God bless you, make sure you're faithful in doing it. Um, but for what I've read in Scripture, that's not something that's not an obligation that the current Christian has to do. All we need to do is make sure that we're faithful, that we give according to our we give according to our ability, um, and that we give cheerfully. And Paul addresses that with the church. This was primarily focused on Jewish uh, people that believed that they still had to have that obligation, and everyone had to follow. Finally, the last one is there is a warped view of Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, several of them, because again, they came out of this pagan kind of belief with all of these gods, they had a hard time believing that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Um, and so there were some questions that came up in the church that were like, well, did he really raise? Maybe he just, you know, he just kind of fainted. Or maybe... Um, the coolness of the tomb, we've heard these, these are actually legitimate uh, arguments that people have even today, that maybe he was in the tomb and 
the coolness lowered his body temperature and he was able to heal after resting for for three days and yet he was strong enough to push the the tomb the stone over and he came out and says hey i'm alive right they had some really crazy views of the resurrection question if we call ourselves followers of jesus and followers of in the faith that we must believe that jesus rose from the dead because without him raising from the dead there is no complete blessing of atonement for our sins there is no new life he just died a needless death and paul says that that's that there's no use for that if that if that's the case and he just died this is all a sham anyway. Why are we even wasting, wasting our time? And so he needed to correct that with these new Christians that were there in Corinth. Now, some of us may see this and we may think, why the heck would Paul waste so much time with these people? He was there a year and a half. And, a little trivia, he actually wrote two other letters to this church. It just didn't make it in our scriptures, but he did. Um, he tells us in 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians, he had actually written letters before, one letter before 1 Corinthians, and also in 2 Corinthians, he wrote a letter before. So he really struggled and tried to push this church along and tried to help them grow. God reminds me that people thought the same thing about me in my life. I would live, people thought I would always just live for myself, put my own desires ahead of everyone else's let alone God's. That my personal struggle when I was growing up with anger and identity and not trusting and seeing the best in people and shame would always, would always be a part of my identity from a boy to an adult. People looked at me probably when I was younger like we often look at this Corinthian church. There's no hope of rescue or changing. But like Corinthians, God was also patient with me. As he began forming a new heart and a new identity in my life. Now guys, I'm still growing, I'm still being rescued, and I'm still experiencing God's forgiveness every day. But I also know that God has a preferred vision of my life and he helps me see my potential in him. So I want to encourage you that if you're struggling, if you're struggling with that, with your identity, and I think one of the reasons God had me bring this out is because this is a season where we, are, we, have, we spend plenty of time with our families. And sometimes um, those difficulties with identity comes out in ugly, sad ways when we're with the ones that love us the most. In spite of all this, God's amazing grace is on display because I'm going to read verse 2, and I'll put it up on the screen here in 1 Corinthians 1. Paul says this, I am writing to God's church in Corinth. Even in spite of all of this, all the struggles, all the things that they struggled with, the immorality, the divisions, the, the using personal freedoms and elevating them over love, spiritual gifts, abusing them, giving out of legalism, as opposed to giving out of grace and love, having a warped view of Jesus' death and resurrection. In spite of all that, Paul still says, I am writing to God's church in Corinth. God didn't disown them. 
he says, to you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus, just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. His own holy people. Did you catch that? He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus. In spite of all this, God's love, His mercy, and grace. I hope if you have a chance to read 1 Corinthians especially, that you think about that as you're reading and seeing all of these trials and tribulations and how the church was just acting honestly like idiots. That even in spite of all that, that Paul didn't stop pursuing them and God didn't start, didn't stop pursuing them. God never disowned them. He wanted to see them grow in that scripture in Ephesians that talk about that we are Christ's workmanship. We're his masterpiece, that he's still forming us. He's still doing a work in us. Some things to think about as well is that Paul wrote to the Corinthians more than he did any other church. So I'm going to leave you with this. If there's hope for Corinth, there's hope for us. As long as we live in Jesus through love, we'll not only make it, but we'll prosper will prosper in ways that will seem impossible, not because of us, but because of Jesus who lived and died and lives again for you today. And we can look forward to that special day that he returns.